had the privilege to be able to uh, see Lecrae this past Wednesday, as a matter of fact. And uh, one of the things I was most impressed by is that, uh, you, know what, you know what they were doing at the Lecrae concert? Uh, I volunteered with a group called Feed the Hungry, and uh, Lecrae has focused his efforts on one particular community in Uganda, and uh, they've just been feeding people. Just been feeding people. Um, I'm happy to report that uh, we had commitment letters that were turned in and people giving over their information so that they could support feeding people. Some 210 people uh, will receive food now on a consistent basis for at least one year because the people that committed and uh, had the privilege of being able to hand out some of those cards and receive some of those cards where people made that commitment to feed other people. Thought that was really cool that um, it wasn't just about a concert or his, hearing a great uh, Christian artist. Man, it was it's just it's about feeding people too, and that's what they were focused on. I thought that was really cool. We're in a series um, right now called "Oh How He," oh how he, and some would say, "Oh how he loves us," and some would say, "Oh how he loved us." And both of those are true. What we said last week is that he's the only one that could love us and love us at the same time for all of eternity, right? He displays that love that he had on the cross and his sacrifice for each and every one of us on the cross. And it was just like this one moment in time where everything came together and boom, his love was on display for the whole world. And it shook the world, literally shook the world. There was an earthquake that rocked the whole world as a result of Jesus' death. And at the same time, what do we see? We see that he continues to love us, even in our nasty, awful condition that we're in sometimes, in our worst state of sin, that Jesus still continues to love us. And I said that I really felt like one of the things that God wanted us to hear is just that he loves us. You know what I mean? Like, like we, we get all wrapped up sometimes in talking about all the things that we've done wrong. And I understand conviction and I understand how we have got to, to recognize the place, the sinful condition that we're in. I understand that. But at times, we need to just recognize the reason God shows us that sinful condition that we're in is so we might be able to be rescued from it. And that's what we see, man. That's just what we see. As we go into Easter, I just think that we just need to remember that God loves us. So much so that he gave us one and only son for each and every one of us. And sometimes I think that that just becomes like, that just falls on deaf ears sometimes because we become complacent to those words. The fact that God died for us. I mean, can you even imagine God coming down from his throne in heaven to become a man so that he can die for us in the things that we've done wrong? Can you even wrap your mind around that? Can you even contemplate the gravity of that statement? That God came from heaven to become a man so that he could die for us. We need to hear that. I mean, that's real love, right? That's the kind of love you can't quantify. And I think that we need to recognize that. Now, we just want to look at the way Christ displayed his love. You know, that's what we're going to be doing in this series. And we, we talked about, oh, how he loves us. And he shows that by humbling us is one of the ways. All right. So that's what we talked about last week, by humbling us. 
And how did he do that? We talked about the lady that was caught in the act of, uh, of adultery and she was thrown into the streets. They're like, all right, Jesus, what are we supposed to do with this lady? And what does he do? He gets down and he starts showing the scribes, the lawyers, the, the Pharisees. He starts showing them how what they are doing is actually against God's law. By the way that they are bringing her to him, that is actually against God's law. Therefore, they indeed are sinners because of the way they have done things against God's commands. And then he looks at her and he's down there on, I mean, he's down there writing on the ground and, and he looks at her and he says, they can't condemn you. They can't condemn you because if they're going to throw rocks at you, then they're condemned too. They're not following God's law either by the way that they're doing this. So I want you to know, none of them can condemn you. Who, who is it that condemns you? He said, nobody. Nobody. And then they just drop their stones and walk away. From the oldest to the youngest, they just drop their stones and walk away. Not only did, did, did he humble those Sadducees, those lawyers right there that day, by recognizing that they did not indeed follow the law themselves, but he also humbled this young lady who knew her sin. She knew what she was deserving of. He knew, she, he knew exactly what, what she deserved, and she knew it too, that she had sinned against God, and she knew it. He wraps his arm around her, looks up at all of them, says, they're not condemning you, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. Just go. Go and live a renewed life, one that you have the opportunity to live. I mean, can you imagine the humbling state that she must have been in? I mean, totally, I mean, just, she, she's just obviously thrown out there in the streets, and all of her sin is thrown out there in the streets, and she's humbled. Is she humbled for the purpose of making her feel disgraced, for, for crushing her so that she can just stay in that place of despair because of what she has done? No. No, she's humbled, and her sin is brought forward for the purpose of Jesus looking at her and saying, Go and sin no more. Live a renewed life. Live a life that reflects God now. You've got a chance to be redeemed. How humbling would that be to have your sin on display like that and God kneel down beside you and say, hey, there's a chance for you. There's a chance for you. So he loves us by humbling us. He loves us by healing us. And that's what we're going to talk about today, by healing us. Now, when people talk about healing, they, they get all crazy and they start thinking all these things. Well, you know, we're going to have somebody in a wheelchair. We're going to put their ha my hands on them. We're going to walk them across Right here in front of the, the platform. That could happen. It could. God could do it if he chose to. Certainly could. No doubt about it. And that would be a miracle and we would all rejoice and we would all celebrate that. But you know what I think? You know what I think is even greater than that? It's when a soul surrenders him or herself to God and there is a resurrection of that soul from death to life. Because they are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus Man, that kind of healing that comes with that where their sin is just, it's just bound up and thrown away and taken off their shoulders. Man, that is a supernatural kind of healing that happens. People that are crushed because of things going on in their lives, man, they just they don't understand why so-and-so is sick or this relationship's broken and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus comes in and he says, you know what? You know what you need to do? You need to rely on me. You need to trust in me. I am the great healer. I heal beyond just this life. But I heal for all of eternity. Man, we need to celebrate that kind of miracle as well. When, when, this is the thing that really puts me just like, it just wraps, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's when, 
when, when, when you see these broken relationships, when you see disunity, when you see all kinds of things going on around us, and you're like, man, how can God fix this? And then he just does. You pray to God. You put your faith in God and say, God, I pray for you to resolve this situation the way that you would see fit. Now, almost never does it happen the way that we think that it should, right? It's almost like his ways are higher than our ways, right? That's the truth. Uh, it, there's so many times when... When I think this is how a situation should be resolved, and I'm like, all right, God, get on board with my plan. This is how I, if you will just do this, then, then everything's going to be okay. And he's like, oh, but you can only see that much. You can only see that much. The tip of the iceberg is all you see in my grand plan, my grand scheme about what's going on in this world. And you can only see this much of it. And you're asking me to get on board with your plan? Sometimes you've got to just have faith in God and say, God. My life is in your hands. My struggles are in your hands. My brokenness is in your hands. All the things I'm sad about, broken about, just in my heart, it all belongs to you. And just lay it in his hands and say, God, thy will be done. Man, the healing that comes from that. The healing that comes from knowing I've got a creator that came down off his throne. I mean, he spoke all of creation into existence. That's all he had to do. But he came down off his throne, became a man so he could die for me. That's real healing, isn't it? You see, these, these, these things that God does when he just resolves a situation in a way that you never thought that he would. I've told you guys this before, but I used to spend a lot of time with a chaplain at Children's Hospital. And he would say, man, Kenny, I saw some devastating things, some terrible things. Children burn beyond the point of recognition in car wrecks, and they come in. And you see the family just torn apart, and you're like, man... I mean, he, he said, Kenny, I'm just praying to God. God, I don't know what you're going to do with this situation. God, I'm helpless here. I'm just putting it in your hands. God, do something. He says, it never, it never fails. God shows up, but he, he never shows up in the way that I expect him to. But he always shows up in a situation. He always brings healing in a way that I never thought that he could bring healing. He always does something I never thought that he would do. You ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, I kind of ended up being on the wrong side of the line and I didn't really know how I got there? You know what I mean? Like, like you think there's good and evil. You think there's bad and good and right and wrong and you're like, but the line gets blurry. Have you ever had that happen? Where you're like, oh, but I was trying to do something good, but then it ended up bad. I don't, and I don't even know how I got here. Have you ever kind of felt like that at some point in time? I know that I have. I had that happen this week, as a matter of fact. At work, I had a situation going on, and I said, you know what, dude? I am going, I'm going to fix this, and I am going to, I'm going to make some phone calls, and I'm going to call some higher-ups, and we're going to get this situation resolved because I know some people that, man, they, they, yes, they may be at a higher pay grade than me, but, but they're reasonable people, and we can talk this thing through. I know that they're reasonable, so I can just talk them through it, and we'll come to an agreement, right? Well, I'm doing the right thing, I think, in my mind by going and trying to resolve a situation, but what ends up happening is, it's like it starts this World War III going on. Like, I, 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 hey, man, I think we should help in this way, and then he goes and talks to somebody else who goes and talks to somebody else. The communication lines are all messed up. And then they think that I'm on another side, and I'm like, I'm on the side of peace, y'all. I'm just like trying to make everybody happy here. 
I'm trying to make sense of a situation and bring everybody together so we can get something accomplished. And what did it do? It like caused so much conflict and, and there's people just like backfighting and, and like, I, I'm like, I, I think I'm the enemy. You know, I'm the one that started this revolution. I, I wasn't trying to, to mess up everybody's life. I was really just trying to do something good. Have you ever had that happen? Like, man, how in the world did I cause all this? I did not mean to cause all this. And then what does God do when you put it in God's hands? And you have to learn this. It's a tough thing to learn. But when you put it in God's hands, even those things that may seem like this is trivial to God and God wouldn't really care, He does care. I promise He cares. He cares because He loves, therefore, He cares. You pray to God, put it in his hands, God, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just praying that, God, you'll heal this, that both sides will come together, that there'll just be love, man, that there'll just be a, a, a reasonable mindset where people just say, you know what? We're all going crazy for no reason. Let's just come together. And God heals and unites and, and he brings together. And do you know that Jesus did that? over and over and over again. Just like how we saw last week when we were talking about the, the woman caught in the middle of adultery. Do you remember what I said there? Is that, that man, he gave the invitation to the, 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 the Sadducees there. He gave the same invitation to them as he gave to the woman. That there can be a reconciliation. You can, you can get through this. You can, you can come to God. You have a choice whether to recognize the place that you're in and the fact that you're wrong, or you can turn around and walk away. And what did they all do? They walked away. They walked away. One by one, they walked away from the eldest to the youngest. The young ones following the old ones. And you ask me, I'm not going to go into that. We could, probably could preach a whole sermon into out of why did the oldest go and then the youngest follow. We probably could talk about that for days, but... God gave the same invitation to them as he gave to this, this, this woman on the ground, caught in the midst of her sin. You got a chance, man. You got an opportunity here. And here we're going to see Jesus at the end of his life. And uh, he's, he's, man, he's, he's trying. It's like even at the end of his life when everybody's against him, it's like he's trying to bridge the gap. He's trying to mend relationships. He's trying to say, y'all all have a chance to come to God. Y'all have all got the same opportunity to come to God. So Jesus is at the end of his life. We're going to be in John chapter 18 this morning. Being that uh, we're one week away from Easter, I thought it was appropriate for us to talk about Jesus' betrayal and being arrested. And that's what we see in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered the grove of the olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there, had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. So most of us know this as the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would often go to get alone and pray. There would be times, you know, there would be times that Jesus had to get alone. 
You know, because people would, would constantly be wanting him to teach them something or, or be wanting him to perform a miracle or, or do something. So that he needed time to just get alone. So oftentimes he would go to this particular garden to just get alone. Now, I think that it's entirely likely that there's times when he probably slept there. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, so Jesus probably had to sleep outside sometimes because he really didn't have a place that he could go to. Or, or, or it could be that he wanted to sleep outside away from everybody because if he was in somebody's home, they'd constantly be asking him stuff. Const- and you're like, well, Jesus, he's loving. Why would he not just answer all their requests? Because sometimes he had to get along with the Father, and he had to just pray that the Father's will would be done, and that was important to Jesus. You know, that, that, that's true of us sometimes, too. We need to stop asking Jesus to fix the situation so many times, and we need to just come and say, God, I need to just pray that the will of the Father would be done. That, God, you would give me a mind like my Father so that I could, I could have my heart set on the things that his heart is set on, and we can be in alignment, and that's the purpose of prayer. You understand that? The purpose of prayer is so that we can get our hearts in alignment with the heart of God and say, God, I'm bringing my request to you in faith, asking you, God, to do a great work because I trust you and God do a great work on my heart at the same time so that my heart will be like your heart. So we pray and Jesus did the same thing. He prayed to the Father. Get alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, what has happened here is Judas, he's betrayed Jesus. He sold him out. He said, all right. Sadducees, Pharisees, you want to go find Jesus? I can tell you where to find him. I know this place where he goes all the time, and I bet you money that's where he is now. I bet I know where where Jesus is hanging out, and he's probably got his disciples with him. Sure enough, that's where Jesus is. So what do they do? They load up everybody. I'm talking about Roman soldiers, temple guards, everybody. I mean, like, the indication here, really, based on on the words they used to talk about the the number of soldiers, it would have been literally probably about 1,000 people. A contingent of a thousand people rolling through town with torches and swords. And I'm like, they're going to find Jesus and his 12 guys. Well, it's 11 now because Judas is with them, right? Like, that's crazy for a thousand people to go after 11 guys, isn't it? And here they are. They're going after him. And they know where to go because Judas is leading the way. And Jesus, he's been in the garden, he's just praying. And, you know, I mean, he's praying that the will of the Father would be done, which means, in fact, that when Jesus, when blood was pouring through his pores because he was praying with such anguish and compassion that he was praying for all of us, that he was praying for all of humanity for eternity, he was praying for us specifically. Because God had a passion for us, he sent his son to, to be there, to be the sacrifice for us. And here, Jesus is just saying, God, may your will be done. If there's another way, God, I, I want you to do it, but I understand that your will is what is most important here. So he's praying to his father. And what is his disciples doing? He says, man, y'all need, to, y'all need to stay up. Y'all need to watch, keep guard, and y'all, y'all need to pray. And his disciples are just falling asleep. And he said, well, is that their fault? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're really tired. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm not sure what was going on there. I'm not sure exactly what was happening. But, but he asked his guys to come out and hang out with him. And, and he kind of went off to himself, and he's praying. And all this stuff is happening. This turmoil is going on because he knows what's about to happen, right? Jesus knows that he's about to have to suffer immense tortures, what is about to happen. So they're chasing after Jesus. And they got 
lanterns and weapons, and they arrived there. It says in verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going on, was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. So here, all there's, there's two sides here, right? There's, there's all these temple guards and Roman soldiers and Pharisees and Sadducees. They're over here on this side, and Jesus is on this side with his, with his brothers, the guys that he had walked with and, and cared for and they began to love so deeply. And they're, they're like these two sides going on, right? And they ask, they say, so Jesus doesn't even, he knows what's going on. He knows his time is at hand. That God had ordained this particular time that he would, be, he would be killed for the sins of the world. And Jesus knows what's going on here. He knows his, the time is at hand. That's why he's been praying and that's why he's been suffering just in agony because he knows his time is here. He doesn't waste any time. The manly man that Jesus is, he's not some kind of weak, meek person, man. He, 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 is, he is humble, yes, but he is not afraid. And he doesn't sit back and wait on them to, to figure out which one of them is Jesus. He steps forward to ask. He says, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. And you may notice in your Bible the, the I am is capitalized in a unique way there. And he's pointing to the fact that he's God. He is God. He says, I am he. Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I thought this was interesting. Jesus, claiming to be God... And all of a sudden, he says, I am. And what do they all do? They all fell back into the ground. I think that it's cool that John points this out. I think that it's cool that just with the words of Jesus, they were humbled instantly. That they were in the presence of God. And whether they knew it or not, their bodies responded to the fact that they were in the presence of God. And they just fell back. Even Satan and his demons, they tremble at the voice of God. They tremble at who he is. And, and here we see the real, real presence of God and the fact that, that God is here and Satan is on this side. And it's like, it's like man, he's just showing who he is. And, God, and John records it for us. When he says that he's God, they all fell back into the ground. They're just stunned. Not by what he said, but by who he is. And they fell back to the ground. Once more he asked them. So they, he says that I am. They fall to the ground. And he gives them a chance here. He gives them a chance here. Look at this. He says, <laughs> once more they asked, he asked them, who are you looking for? Now, there's something I've told you many, many times here at Simple Church. And I want to say it again because you need to hear it many, many times. Every time God asks a question, is it because God doesn't know? Is it because God is oblivious and he doesn't have any idea who they're here for? Jesus, who is God, who knows everything past, present, and future, is Jesus confused about who it is that they're looking for? So much so that he has to ask them twice? 
Does God forget anything? He said, he said they're, they're looking for Jesus and Nazarene. He says who he is, and they all fall back. Do you think that Jesus is going, now, who are you looking for again? I've forgotten already. Do you really think that that's what's going on in this exchange? I mean, I mean, he's God. He knew what they were after before they all assembled that night. This is Friday night, and, and all these guys, these thousands of people have gathered together to go after Jesus. And they say, we're after Jesus the Nazarene. Do you think that he's like, now, who is it? That you're after. I believe Jesus right here is doing what God always does. And he's giving them an invitation. When God asks a question, God's given an invitation. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that? When he says, where are you? Where have you gone? After they had sinned and created, created sin in the rest of the world for all of eternity. Where, where did you go? God's walking through the garden looking for. Do you think God doesn't know where they are? The one that spoke all of creation into existence with his word. Do you think he's confused about where Adam and Eve have gone? Do you, do you think that he's, he's wondering? And No, he's given an invitation. You know what God's saying? Come to me. Come to me. Adam and Eve, you sin. Come to me. And here. Here, I believe, I really believe that he's given an invitation to them. He's saying, now who is it you're looking for? You know what? They could have said, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I think we know who we found. My bad. I'm going back to the house now. We'll take my torches, my weapons. I'm not really looking for Jesus and Nazarene. I, I'm, I'm good, y'all. They had that chance. They could have said that. God's given an invitation, a second chance here. Now, who are you looking for again? Did they take that chance? Did they, did they accept that invitation from God? Because they could have just said, hey, never mind. You spoke your name and we all fell down. So never mind. We're good now. But instead, and again, they replied. So they're reconciled in being used by Satan here. And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one that you won't, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose one sing, uh, a single one of those who had given me. And see, Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus. And this is where we're going to be for just a moment. Okay? So if you can just imagine what's going on here, and they're over here, and he's giving them an invitation. Who are you looking for? And he says, I am. And they all just fell back and fell down to the ground. And, and, and then you see his guys over there. He says, he says, you know what? If you're after me, then come after me. Just leave, leave my guys alone. They haven't done anything to you. Just leave them alone. And they're just following me, so, so you leave them alone. So there's this. Distance between them, if you will. Well, Peter, he, he's, he's probably right behind Jesus. I mean, he's full of zeal, full of passion. He's full of confidence, man. He's going to take on a thousand guys by himself. 
I mean, that's, that's either really bold or really stupid, one or the other. I don't know, but, but he's, he's, he's there, and he's got his little dagger in his hand. It's really not a sword. It's more like a dagger, and, and he's taking it after these 1,000 people. He's going to take them on in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus had just told them, hey, leave my guys alone, and you don't even see a response yet. They may have said, okay. But Jesus was so full of passion and zeal for his Savior. He said, no, not today. He said, I'm going to go down fighting. Jesus said, it ain't going to happen like this. Takes out his dagger and he goes after this guy named Malchus. Now, why does John call him Malchus? The other gospel accounts don't necessarily call him Malchus. I think that it's important that we know that he has a name. He wasn't just some guy, man. He was a, a guy with a name. And he didn't just get an ear cut off. He got his right ear cut off so that we have this very distinct, perfect picture of what's going on here. We don't want this to be vague. We don't want it to be confusing. We want to know that, that, that Simon Peter grabbed his dagger and went after this guy named Malchus and cut his ear off. Now, the fact that John records his name must mean that he must know something about him, right? Wouldn't you think? Like if you're standing in front of a thousand guys and like... He must have some idea who this guy is. If John knows his name, he's like, no, it wasn't just a guy. That was Malchus. I know him. I know him. Malchus was one of the, the, the slaves. It says, cut off the right, slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. So they knew who Malchus was. I wonder if Malchus knew who he was that day. He was a slave to the high priest. And apparently the disciples knew who he was. Maybe he knew who the disciples were. I'm sure he'd at least heard of Jesus. I'm sure he'd at least known the person they were going after. He was in the front of the line. He was up there close. The first few guys to confront Jesus. And he's up there close to them. Was he one of the ones that says we're after Jesus and Nazarene? I, I don't know, but I know that he's right up there at the front. With these thousand people that are lined up to come after Jesus, he's up there at the front. And Simon Peter takes out his dagger and says, not today, man, not today. And he cuts off his ear. Aggression. Zeal. It looks like righteous anger, doesn't it? It looks like it's, it's good that he's doing this, man. He's taking up for his friend. Even if that means he's going to lose his life, he's doing, he's doing the right thing. He's going after him, man. He's not going to hold back. And Malchus is there. And I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was an innocent bystander, if he was the closest guy to Peter. I don't know. But I know Peter cut his ear off. It's a guy that had probably heard of Jesus and knew of the miracles he could perform. Do you think that Malchus really thought that Jesus was going to perform a miracle in him that day? There's a line. <laughs> There's a line between them and Jesus. Did you really believe you really think that, that Malchus was thinking that Jesus was gonna perform a miracle in him that day? He he said, in his mind, I'm sure he was like, I'm on the other side, man. I'm with the other guy, so he's not gonna do anything to heal me today. I'm gonna get my ear cut off here, and it's gonna be that way forever. What do we know happened? What do we know? Jesus said to Peter, 
Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? And we know based on the other gospel accounts that he, Jesus reached up and healed his ear. In an instant, in an instant, he healed his ear. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be transformational for me. If I'm on the other side of the line and I'm one of the guys that's coming to arrest Jesus so he can be tortured and killed, and then Jesus reaches across the line to heal my ear, after one of his disciples had come and cut off my ear, one of the guys that was supposed to be on his side, he came and cut off my ear. Surely to goodness, Jesus is not going to do anything for me. But instead, Jesus reaches across the line. And this was his chance to bring the two groups together, right? This is what Jesus is doing. Think about it. Have you ever, you ever just paused to think about what's going on here? Jesus is saying, there's not a line between us. There's not a difference here. We're all in need of the sacrifice I'm about to make. Even this guy named Malchus. And he reaches over and he heals his ear in a second. And all of a sudden he's on the receiving end of the healing that Jesus has brought. I really believe that this was the moment. This was the moment. That if everybody would have stopped long enough to really think and really listen to God with their heart. They could have said... Hey, what's going on here is bigger than us. What's going on here is bigger than the division that stands between us. This is a man that is here for all of us, not just the ones that are on his side. This is a man that no matter what kind of attack comes against him, he says, no, not with the sword. That's not what's going to happen here. See, you've got to understand, Peter, listen to me. The reason this is going down this way is because God had planned it this way from the beginning. And Jesus reaches over and heals his ear. I really believe that God was making a statement right here. Maybe Malchus had, I mean, maybe he hated Jesus. I don't know. Maybe he really wanted to be up at the front because he wanted to be one of the very first ones that if it went down, man, he wanted to stab somebody with his sword. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he was one of these guys where I'm just a slave to the high priest and, and I'm supposed to go, so here I am and I'm going and... And so I'm, I'm just here, and I'm, I'm not even really paying attention to what's going on. All of a sudden, Peter cuts my ear off, you know? Like, what just happened right here? I don't know. I don't know if he found himself on the wrong side of the line. He didn't know how he got there. All, he know, all I know is in an instant, he was in the middle of the situation, and God used his healing as an opportunity for both sides to stop for just a moment and see the power of God. There are these moments that a lot of people are missing in their lives. Okay? There's some brokenness. There's some messed up things with some people and there's some division there. And I really believe if we will pause long enough to listen to the voice of God and listen to what he's really showing us and really concentrate on who Jesus is and the reason that he came, if we will pause long enough, we will see the presence of God and we will see God do something supernatural that none of us can do ourselves. But we miss that opportunity. We're so consumed about which side we're on that, that we miss the opportunity to come together and say, you know what, it doesn't matter which side we're on. Jesus is standing right between us all and he's the one that binds us all. We don't need to miss that. There have been times when I've missed it, y'all. 
They, they, I've been too prideful. There'd be people that, uh, that I've wronged in some way, and, and I, I'd be too prideful to say I'm sorry. There'd be, there'd be times when I, I'm just like so consumed with the fact that I'm right, they're wrong, that, that I wouldn't wrap my arms around them and tell them that I loved them. There have been times when I've done that. But if we live a reconciled life to God, one that represents the love of Jesus, oh, how he loves us, man. If we were to love like Jesus loves, then we would put ourselves aside for just a moment and listen to the voice of God and recognize who Jesus is and what he's done for each and every one of us. And we would see the healing that Jesus brings right in the middle of the conflict. We can't miss it can't miss it so many times we miss it because our pride wells up and that's all that we can see is right and wrong and we don't see the love of Jesus standing right there in the middle have you ever been in that place you got some broken relationships in your life and pride is one and Jesus hasn't have you ever been in a place you're like I don't even know how I got here I was trying to do the right thing but it turns out I was doing the wrong thing all along and your pride's causing you to, to not humble yourself and, and, and come to a recognition of the fact that, you know what? I'm just an imperfect human being full of flaws and mistakes and all that. And you know what? I just got to take it to God. Oh, how he loves us because he heals. Because he heals. When he heals, man, he displays his love. His love is on display for everybody. And we think about healing just in the physical sense. Jesus was doing a, ho a whole lot more than just healing Malchus' ear that day. Jesus was giving an invitation to both groups to say, you know what, we can come together. This is the power of God present right in the middle of us all. And we have the power to come together now if we will just lay ourselves down. Peter, you're just as much wrong as Malchus is. Peter, you've done the wrong thing just like, just like the high priest has done by sending Malchus after me. He says, Peter, not this way, man. Those who live by the sword die by the sword, and we're not going down this way. We're going to let the Father's will be carried out. So shortly thereafter, Jesus stands in front of a false trial. It's falsely accused, accepts a false judgment, gets beaten to the point where his flesh is ripped from his body. His beard's plucked from his skin and crown of thorns and blood's just, you know, before it was blood trickling down his face because he had been praying for us and praying for the Father's will to be done even in the midst of the tor torment he was going to go through. And now the blood's literally dripping down his face because of the thorns that his enemies ha had put on his head. And he died for them all. He died for them all. He died for Peter who made the mistake of not recognizing what God was doing here. He, he, he died for Malchus, who right or wrong was on the other side of the line, and he was right in the middle of a situation, and, and he may not even been knowing what was going on there. But he ended up being on the receiving end of, of Peter's sword and on the receiving end of Jesus' healing to be an example of God's love. The Pharisees and Sadducees that were there to accuse Jesus falsely, he was, he was there to die for them, that the Father's will would be carried out so that he could die for them. But the other disciples that, you know, when Peter was slashing the ear off, one of the guys, the other ones are just sitting back waiting to see what's going to happen. They haven't done anything. They're just there. He died for them. 
the whole point is that Jesus died for all of them and Jesus gave all of them the same opportunity. Father's will was about to be carried out so that Jesus could reconcile the whole world to the Father. Jesus is all about bringing together. Jesus is all about healing. So that, so what happens when, when you got a cut? What happens? You got, I mean, like in this example, you got the ear and you got the head, and Jesus brings them together, doesn't he? Seals up the wound, brings the two pieces of flesh together. So here's my question to you. Is there healing that you've been begging God for? Is there healing that you've not been begging God for because you got too much pride to ask God to bring it to you? Is there, is there things going on in your life where, where you're like, man, I don't know what's going on here, God. I don't know how I got in this place, but I know that, that, that you're the one that needs to be at the center of this situation, and, and I'm going to humble myself and let you be at the center of this situation. You bring the healing that you, only you can bring. Are there things in your life where what's broken is, is your heart? Your heart's broken and it's in two, right? Like the little emoji with the line down the middle. Your heart's broken in two. Maybe something bad's happened to you. Maybe you've been hurt in a deep way. Maybe, maybe there's a dad that's abused you or maybe there, there's, there's somebody in your life that constantly cuts you down and puts you down and makes you feel lower and less about yourself maybe there, there's things that have been said between two people that just needs to be reconciled maybe there are things that have been said and you're like man I, I wish I wouldn't have ever said that but you just want God to bring them together because your heart's broken and torn in two the interesting thing about Jesus dying is that the veil was torn right it was split down the middle we all know that right that when Jesus died and the earthquake came and and darkness covered it. The veil was torn. You're like, man, it was separated. Was God showing separation there? Is God really showing separation at the end of Jesus' death? Is God showing that there are two pieces torn apart? No. It's not at all what God's showing there. He's showing that the thing that separated us before is now gone. And now you have a direct connection to me. And that's the reason the veil was torn. It wasn't for the purpose of showing something torn apart. It was for the purpose of showing something brought together. And that's what Jesus does. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he loves us through the way that he heals us. Heals ourselves, heals our relationships. And he healed that, that, that gap that existed between us and God. And he brought it together. He says, now... Now you can have communion with the Father because of the sacrifice. Do you believe in it? So the question today is, do you believe? Do you believe that he heals? Do you believe that he makes things okay? Do you believe that he heals the heart like nothing else can? Do you believe that he, he brings relationships together like nobody else can? Do you believe that? Is it something you've just seen other people experience? You're like, that's just for them? Or do you recognize that it's for you? That when he brought this word today, when he put this word on my heart, it was for the purposes of you hearing the fact that he heals. That it's not for somebody else. Whether you're on Facebook or you're sitting here in this room, you recognize that God heals and he heals for you. Because he loves. Because he loves. And he brought this word 
to your mind, to your ears, to your heart, so that you can hear that he loves and he heals. Will you let your pride well up and separate yourself from the healing that God brings? Or will you humble yourself, acknowledge the healing that he brings? So you know what, God? It belongs to you. It belongs to you. My broken heart belongs to you. My broken relationship belongs to you. My physical hurting, it belongs to you. It all belongs to you because you heal. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for reminding us today that you love us. We ignore it too many times, God. Sometimes you're just screaming in our ears. The comforter, the Holy Spirit is just just bellowing out, just telling us, God, you reconcile, you, you bring together. That's the reason that you came to the earth is to bring together. God, may we not be separated. May we be brought together. Lord, I just pray for the brokenness that exists in this room that you would heal. Father, I don't know what that is. I don't know all the situations that are here. I don't know everything that's going on in everybody's lives. But I am absolutely assured of the fact that you do. You know everything that's going on. You, you, you know every single heart and every single broken piece of our heart. So, Lord, I'm asking for your healing. I'm asking, God, for you to bring us together and you to heal. God, do a great work like only you can. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would everyone stand?